Bilingual in America. Tunei el loga fi America. Bilinguismo negli Stati Uniti. Bilingue in America. Ser bilingue en America. I'm Suzanne Lasser. I'm Yarina Sancion, and this is Bilingual in America. Hi, I'm Suzanne Lasser, and welcome to Bilingual in America. If you have listened to any of our podcast episodes, then you already know that Yarina and I recognize and promote bilingualism and multilingualism as an asset. But that is not only something that we feel, it has been proven by so many revered academics. Research studies have shown that students who are bilingual or know a second language can outperform monolingual students and that the effects of bilingualism can help improve a student's educational development, cognitive functions, social skills, literacy, and emotional skills. On today's episode, we are talking all things New York State education with Elisa Alvarez and Alicia Valles Barinas. In New York State, as districts and schools move toward culturally responsive, sustaining education, CRS, it is important to include our multilingual learners with student-centered learning environments that affirm racial, linguistic, and cultural identities. Bilingual students, heritage language speakers, and world language learners are an important and valuable resource for a school's CRS efforts. They contribute to the richness of a school's diverse student body by helping students learn about themselves and understand each other. During our conversation with New York State Associate Commissioner for the Office of Bilingual Education and World Languages, Elisa Alvarez, and the Associate in Bilingual Education, Alicia Baez Barinas, reiterate English language learners and multilingual language learners should not be an afterthought and that they are deserving of an education that honors who they are in their language. Let's listen in. We're so excited and so humbled to be having this conversation with Elisa Alvarez and Alicia Baez Barinas. Thank you so much, ladies, for joining us today. What an awesome opportunity to have this beautiful conversation with you. Well, thank you for inviting us and thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. Ms. Alvarez, if you could just tell us a little bit of your bilingual story, I always like to give our listeners a context for what inspires you, what fuels your work. Well, it begins, I think, like everyone else, everyone has a story. And as you even ask that question, I think about the way I was raised and the love in my home about our culture and the pride in in the language, the pride in in poetry, the the pride in music. There was so much music in my home. And honestly, it began there. It was a love of who I I was. I I was born and raised in this country. I was born and raised in Washington Heights. My parents knew very well how important culture was. As a matter of fact, my father was the first gentleman to open up a cultural uh, community center for the Dominican Hispanic community. Uh, it was called, it's still standing by the way, um, he's no longer active, but it's still standing. And it's called El Club Deportivo Dominicano. So 
I knew that we celebrated the Three Kings Day. That wasn't celebrated in school, but I knew that was celebrated in my home and it was celebrated within the Dominican community. So my love of who I am, my culture, my language, the music, the food, it began at home. And Alicia, what about you? Tell us a little bit about your bilingual journey. Similar to what uh, Elisa shared, um, I too think back to home and my parents and how I was raised. I grew up in a home where our culture, um, our language was valued. So very early on, um, my parents infused that bilingualism and biliteracy uh, into just every day. You know, uh, when we learned, when I learned what water was, I learned that it was agua and bread was fun. And so I have always carried that with me. I was also um, blessed to be raised. Uh, my dad was very active for bilingual education and English language learners as an administrator and in uh, various advocacy groups across the state. And so uh, I grew up watching that and learning it and it became ingrained. And that kind of set me on that trajectory in terms of advocacy for English language learners. So well, that's, a, that's a perfect segue. Uh, Yarina and I would love for both of you to share, what are you advocating for educators through your mission and purpose? That's a great question. Thank you for the opportunity. I think first and foremost is that we are not an afterthought. The children and the families, uh, our multilingual families, our English language learners, our community is not an afterthought. And in education, there was a civil, we have several civil rights laws that guarantee inclusion. And so we, we're doing our best to make sure that we strengthen the voice and the advocacy for families to know that they have a right to an education that's quality, that's deserving of them, but most importantly, an educational opportunity that honors who they are and their language. It is not acceptable for any organization or any institution to think that they can take away what was given freely within the family. So language is who we are, it identifies us. So there's certain things in this world I was raised to believe and my mom always used to say, and my mom was an orphan with a very limited education back in Dominican Republic. And she said, the only thing, the only inheritance I can give you is an education because no one can take that away from you. And I know many people hear that all the time, but that is the truth. No one can take away an education. And it's our job also to make sure that the children, the young adults, our future, our real future are prepared. What I really want, some of the things that I wish to accomplish at this moment in time is first and foremost, to let the families know that they have a right and the children have a right to a bilingual education that's deserving of them so that they can have that future in the day of tomorrow. You're, you know, the way you speak with such conviction is just really so, it just comes through, you know, and um, I really appreciate uh, your stance because I'm sure that fuels you each and every day to get up and carry on the charge and do the work that needs to happen, you know? Thank you. Yeah, so, you know, along um, those same lines, and I know that you've been at work already, at hard work, developing services or highlighting programs for bilingual and multilingual families. 
what would you want them to know is available to them? Well, first and foremost, bilingual programs and, and classes are the first uh, the first areas or items that they should know that exist and is readily available to them. So that's the first option that needs to be presented to any family when they are registering or um, becoming part of a new district. They have a right to a bilingual class. Uh, they have a right to English as a new language support. But those, those are supports for our families and for the, for the children. It doesn't mean that it's, it's different. It just means that they, everyone knows it, once their child has been identified that they need additional support because that's all it is. It's support. That, that's the first area that should be offered to them. There are so many other programs, uh, for example, dual language programs, which Alicia is leading at this moment in time for us to absolutely, and I know Suzanne, that's an area of your expertise as well and your passion. And so in the future, we'll be able to invite you and other stakeholders to voice some of your expertise because we want to be able to create at this moment in time formats, uh, bases, research-based information so that when we move forward with dual language programs that it's deserving of our families. Uh, by the way, dual language programs are super difficult and challenging because it's about learning two languages simultaneously. The families have everything that is offered. Maybe I should say this one, I'll turn it to Alisa, she can speak more, but our families have every opportunity for their children as every other family. And I wanna stress that. Any family with a child that's identified that needs English as a new language, that can be offered a seat in a bilingual program or offered services by an English as a second language teacher or specialist, they have the right to all programs, to all opportunities as every other child. So I think that's the first thing I would wanna stress with you and ask your help in making sure that's known. It is not a different, different program. It's not a different school. It is within the school structure, within the school community. The families have the opportunity to the same education as every other child. They just receive additional support. Alicia, do you wanna add anything to that? Sure, I think in, in speaking to um, dual language and, and the programming and the different models that exist, I think the other um, nice thing is that, you know, you can have classrooms where we do have English language learners sitting side by side with um, English dominant students who are learning Spanish at the same time and, and taking advantage of what that looks like and watching them work collaboratively and building that by literacy. And I think it's important to recognize too that we need to remind parents and families and continue to educate them in the fact that, you know, when we talk about equality and equity, because equality and equity are not the same, but when we're talking about equity, that also includes language and, and allowing our, our students the space, our English language learners, the space to access their language repertoire, whether it's in English, whether it's in Spanish, whether they're translanguaging, whatever that may look like. But, um, you know, to, to go along with what Elisa is sharing, it's just so important to make sure that 
they know what their rights are. They know that they can have materials and meetings and things translated and interpreted to them in their first language. Um, so that way they also have access uh, to what they need in addition to the students having uh, the same amount of access as they're learning content in both languages. So Alicia, that is so important to know, right, for our families to recognize and understand that they have access to all the programs, right, regardless of, of what their home language is. And so as you were talking, I'm wondering, what do you feel or what's you, what are you working towards in terms of the future of bilingual and dual language programs here in the state of New York? As Elisa shared, dual language um, is a focus right now. Um, we are putting, we are working in the background. We have a, a committee that is being put together with long-term goals uh, in terms of what that's gonna look like for the state over the next several years. We need to look at language allocation policies across the state. We need to look at the various models that exist so that way we can be more cohesive. And we see that cohesion all the way from Buffalo, all the way down to New York City uh, and making sure that we are implementing the program with validity, correct? Because we know that with bilingual education, whether we're speaking about TBE programs or dual language, um, they're very delicate and we have to be so mindful of that. And so there's so much that goes into it. Uh, the other thing, and I don't know if Elisa wants to talk a little bit on it too, but looking at our leaders and making sure that we also equip our teachers and our leaders with what they need in order to continue to make informed decisions around bilingual education, around dual language, uh, because it's hard to go into a school and ask a principal about their language allocation policy and whether they have a side-by-side -side model, a one-way or a two-way, if we don't give them those tools ahead of that. So I don't know, Elisa, if you want to add anything. Well, I would just add for public awareness that we pay a, a tremendous amount of attention to the development of everyone, not only of teachers, but the development of our administrators and future leaders that are in position. I've always said I do not fault anyone for not doing something if we haven't taught them. So one of our areas of concern is making sure that we equip and we prepare and develop our school building administrators to understand what it is that they need to afford our children. The one thing I want to make sure that by the time I step away from this role is that English language learners, multilingual learners, and the families are not a substitute thought or an afterthought for any school community. When a school community plans their curriculum, when they plan their year, when they plan their professional development, when they plan their engagement with families. I'm hoping that the children are part of the process, that the administrators are thinking about them. And as, as it stands right now, I don't feel that we have done enough to prepare administrators to understand the unique needs of language acquisition. And that's something we will be changing. I think what you share is so important, right? If the leadership has a clear vision and they're able to communicate that consistently to their staff, to their families, to their children, then together we do make a difference. Together we can impact in a positive way. I really appreciate you bringing that to the forefront. Our hashtag is Speak Your Beauty. 
and you both have spoken beautifully today. But in what other ways do you think you speak your beauty out in the world? I would have to begin by saying faith. I, I have a strong belief that my purpose is a gift because when if I see injustices, inequalities, it hurts. It hurts to see that children are hurt and I don't sleep well at night to know if children are suffering. So I would begin by saying my beauty has to be the fact that I, I just want to bring love. My faith is about love. My faith is bringing about love. My, my faith is about, and, and when you say love, you there's success. Every administrator, every leader in any position, especially in education, I want them to know there is room for everyone to be successful. It's not a competition amongst each other. It's not a competition amongst each other. It is, it is a dedication to make sure that our children are successful. So if one, one superintendent, one principal, one school community is successful, that means if they have 5,000 children under their care, that means I feel so much better to know that I know 5,000 young adults are going to be moving around and growing in our society, spreading that love. So uh, beauty, faith, um, hashtag dance, music, life, live. Life was meant to be lived and lived well and spreading kindness. Family, family is everything. I'm really fortunate. Family is everything. Mm. So beautiful. And Alicia, for you? So for me, also faith. And um, this is something I've had to work on, I think also, and maybe a lot of women struggle with this, right? Trying to find that beauty and, and, and how to bring it out. But I think that one of the things that I rely on is just making sure that I treat others the way I want to be treated. And it sounds so simple, but yet there's so much that's in that, right? And smiling on the days when things are not so great, but making sure that we spread love and joy and positivity in everything that we do, whether it's through work or outside. Family is so very important and um, friends that we consider family. Uh, and that's a huge part of, of my life and my everyday. But I think also being an example and um, holding my head high and, and, and being a Latina that our younger students can look up to and say, you know what, if she can do it, I can, you know, and, and being that example for them, I think is so very important and handling everything with professionalism, but also knowing when my voice needs to be heard and when I need to stand up and advocate for our students. And I think finding that balance is so important. So I think that would be it for me. Thank you so much. I just wanted to end with something that you wrote in your first newsletter for January 2021. You ended the letter like this. I think it just speaks volumes to the leadership that you exemplify day in and day out. It says, finally, as we start a new calendar year in this undoubtedly most uncertain of times, I prefer to focus on the lessons learned. For myself, time is precious. Dedicating time to family and friends creates memories of everlasting joy. Therefore, time with loved ones should never be compromised. 
and I, I really, um, I really have a lot of respect for for the the closing of that letter because I think it really just speaks to how people people are important, relationships are important. I thank you both for sharing this time with Suzanne and I. Uh, we are so humbled and grateful to yes. be able to have this conversation with you. Just being able to partner with both of you. I think with our educator hats on uh, as proud New York State educators and through our passion project, which is the podcast. So uh, for us, this was a, a doubly a special opportunity to really help us set the tone and pace for what we want to see uh, in the coming year for all of us. So thank you. Thank you so much for having us. And thank you for, for reading that. It's it really is touching to see how how it's 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 gotten close to you. If anything, it, that it allows me to become more vulnerable, and I want everyone to know who I am. There's nothing hidden other other than my advocacy for the children, and I'm a very proud Dominican Latina, and I hope to make sure that my community and all the Hispanic Latinx community feels that we are here to serve them. Alicia and I are here to serve. So our, our work is to serve. And thank you for thank you for inviting us again and for what you're doing. Continue to spread the word, continue to inform and let them know that they have an army of people that love them and will continue to, to fight and push for them. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye ladies. Today, we heard from Alisa and Alicia and how from an early age, love for language, food, and culture was part of the tapestry their parents helped weave into their sense of self. We heard how their parents modeled advocacy and how they now continue this work as women leading the charge with the New York State Education Department. New York State Ed is making strong strides in providing greater preparation and development for administrators and teachers to address the unique needs of second language acquisition. With the CRS, with the blueprint for English language learners and multilingual learner success, the seal of biliteracy, and the overall understanding that the equity conversation does include language, they are plotting a course with the support of New York State educators, where all New York State English language learners attain the highest level of academic success and where all multilingual learners, which include English language learners, former Everells, world language students, and heritage speakers of world languages, achieve the highest level of language proficiency in English and in one or more other languages. No matter what state you live in, or what your role is in promoting and supporting second language acquisition, Elisa summed it up best by stating that this work is not about competition. It is about dedication to making the student experience successful. We can all agree that we do this for the love of our students. Until next time, continue to speak your beauty. Thank you for your interest in the stories we share. By sharing, following, and liking our podcast on anchor.fm Bilingual in America and our Instagram blog at bilingualinamerica.podcast, you are speaking your beauty. We welcome your comments and feedback. Follow us, 
like us, share us. Bilingual in America, speak your beauty. Bilingual in America, speak your beauty.